Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 17-year-old snowboarder Chloe Kim has been preparing for the 2018 Olympic Games in Pyeongchang her entire life, whether she knew it or not. Her love of snowboarding is definitely hers, but her path to get to the elite level of snowboarding has been meticulously carved by her father, Jong Jin Kim, an immigrant from South Korea who saw his daughter's potential early on. In her brief 17 years, Chloe has gone from California to Switzerland to California again. All this preparation has Chloe on the precipice of greatness, not only athletically, but financially and culturally. But it's a delicate balance to maintain with so many people, places, and worlds to consider. Where does America stop and Korea start in Chloe, and should that even matter? Shouldn't she just be allowed to be Chloe? As you will learn, that's exactly what she has chosen. Stick around after the story from my conversation with ESPN senior writer Alyssa Roenick as we talk about Chloe Kim's true American tale. Now we present Kid Fearless by Alyssa Roenick. Kid Fearless by Alyssa Roenick. Chloe Kim hasn't slept in her own bed in months. Aside from a few pit stops in Los Angeles to repack, find her passport, and snuggle her puppy, she hasn't really been home in a hundred days. She's fighting jet lag and a cold, but knows the people she'll soon meet can elevate her from X Games star to international fame. So she stifles her cough, pulls a smile, and mentally catalogs her talking points then offers a rare admission. She's nervous. Ask the 17-year-old snowboard phenom to recount her landmark moments, like becoming the first woman to nail back-to-back 1080s in a half-pipe contest, and she replies with typical teenage energy and atypical confidence. I don't get butterflies, she says. I get a good feeling in my stomach before I compete. When I don't, I get worried. Right now, she doesn't have that feeling. It's a Tuesday night in February in Seoul, South Korea, one year before the 2018 Winter Olympics. And Kim is at the Burton Snowboard Store in the chic shopping district of Gangnam. She follows her parents inside, shakes off the chill, and eyes an oversized poster of her own smiling face next to a sign in Korean that reads, Chloe Kim Press Conference. For Kim, born in California to Korean immigrants, the scene is familiar yet foreign much like Korea itself. In a lot of ways, I'm still a tourist, Kim says. I've been visiting Korea for years, but I'm not a local at all. I still get lost. Kim could have used this off week before a contest in the Pyeongchang halfpipe to rest and recover. Instead, she flew in early to represent the U.S. on behalf of the State Department and to attend news conferences arranged by a Korean agency hired by her father, Jong, to introduce her to a country that does not yet know her name. Chloe can be really famous in Korea, says Huang Hiran, one of her agents at Seoul-based SEMA Sports Marketing. There is much interest in her and much potential for her to have Korean sponsors. If his daughter wins Olympic gold here, Jong believes her Korean marketing potential could reach the millions, not to mention her haul back home. Tonight is about unlocking that potential. She plans to address the nearly 50 reporters waiting for her in Korean, 
a language she speaks fluently but never in public. Korean is such a complex language, and there's a respectful and a casual way to say things, Kim says. The last thing I wanted to do was offend anyone as soon as I got to Korea. Her father believes that using the Korean he taught her will convey respect for the media. It will show them she cares about her heritage, he says. Then they won't ask why they should promote a Korean-American snowboarder instead of a Korean athlete. With the help of a moderator, Kim wins the room with a dimpled smile and a mix of humility, sincerity, and affability, even when she struggles to find the right conjugation. It would be meaningful if I can get a gold medal in my parents' country, she says in Korean, adding that her Korean name is Kim Sun, and she loves eating toboki, spicy rice cakes, and dancing to K-pop star CL. I listen to CL before I compete. The next day, Kim appears in headlines and on broadcast throughout Seoul. Jong collects the papers, reads them aloud, and folds up his favorites to take home. As soon as we came to Korea, I could tell my dad was so proud, Kim says. In the States, he chills in sweatpants and polos with kimchi stains. But here, he takes care and dresses up. Over the next four days, Kim visits family, meets Korean Olympians, speaks to college students, teaches kids at a snowboard clinic in Pyeongchang, and makes an appearance for a makeup company, often with paparazzi in tow. The week is a PR success. But it comes at a price. Kim's cold catches up with her, and she goes to the ER on Saturday night with a 104-degree fever. What little energy she regains over the next week is split among practicing for the Olympic half-pipe test event, more interviews, and studying so she can graduate from high school a year early. It's all too much. Kim falls on two of her three finals runs and places fourth at the test event, her worst showing in three years. Afterwards, she gives interviews in English and Korean and poses for selfies with young fans waving Korean and American flags. Chloe Kim is famous like Sean White, one boy says, and Korean like me. But Kim is disappointed and confused. Winning usually comes so easily, as do her hardest tricks. I felt the pressure here, which has never happened to me, she says. I'm bummed with the way I rode. For Kim, the trip was supposed to be about snowboarding. Instead, she stretched her limits off the snow and fell short on it. It would be the first lesson in a year spent discovering what the Olympic spotlight means. Before the Olympics became Chloe Kim's goal, her father came to the U.S. with his own hopes. In 1982, 26-year-old Jong Jin Kim arrived at LAX on the only direct flight to the States he could afford in search of opportunity. It was a dream country, he says, a totally different world. With $800 and an English-Korean dictionary, Jong purchased a 1970 Nova, bought a carton of Kent cigarettes, and paid $150 for a one-week stay at a hotel. I had $100 left in my pocket, he says. I went to the patio of the hotel, smoked a Kent, and said to myself, I start now. He landed jobs as a dishwasher at a burger joint and a cashier at a liquor store, where he practiced English with customers. After a few years, he enrolled in college and eventually earned a degree in manufacturing engineering technology. Kim worked as an engineer, 
met his first wife and had two daughters, Tracy, now 31, and Erica, 27. When that marriage ended in divorce, he went to Switzerland, where his older sister lived, and opened a travel agency for Koreans. There, he met Chloe's mom, Boren Yoon, while she was in town from Seoul on business. They married and in 1998 moved to California to pursue their American dream. But where are you really from? It's late September at the U.S. Olympic Media Summit in Park City, Utah, and Kim is explaining what it's like to be an American girly girl with an East Asian face. People ask where I'm from, and I say Los Angeles, Kim says. Then they ask again. Well, my parents are from Korea. Kim's heritage has never been such a focus of discussion, but she's never been under such a microscope. To her, this journey is about becoming the world's best snowboarder. But because her first Olympics are in Korea, she's asked questions that, at 17, she hasn't asked herself. How do you identify with Korean culture? What does competing in Korea mean to your family? What does it mean to you? She responds honestly in the moment, so in countless interviews over the next few months, her answers will vary. Sometimes she's aware that the person asking wants her to be a model Korean-American, while other interviewers fish for hints of an uber-American upbringing. Sometimes her answers are measured, other times loose and off-the-cuff. She doesn't yet understand that some people are waiting for her to misstep. For now, she is engaging, entertaining, and completely unguarded. Sean White? He's so funny, she says. Some people think whatever about him. But I don't listen to what anyone says about someone until I get to know them. No one gets to do that for me. Without pause, she talks about her average SAT score. Her ridiculously smart puppy, Reese. The difficulties of dating. And what competing in Korea will mean to her. I have this different opportunity because I'm Korean-American, but I'm writing for the States, she says. At first, I was confused on how that would be accepted, but now I'm starting to understand that I can represent both countries. Chloe is a natural in the spotlight, but its heat can be overwhelming. She'd arrived in Utah the night before from training in Switzerland. After lunch, her pep wears off, but she faces a full afternoon of interviews and photo shoots. At one, a photographer asks her to jump in the air with her snowboard. No, she says, and smiles for a photo, both feet firmly on the ground. I felt bad, Chloe says later. I hate it when I get grumpy, but I can only be high energy for so long. Chloe was born on Easter Sunday in 2000. When Boren tells the story, she says how cute Chloe was, and how quickly it all happened. But Jong is a storyteller. He recounts the day as an explanation for a girl born into a family without athletes in a city without snow, who by 14 was one of the most influential women in her sport. To mark the 2000th anniversary of the birth of Christ, the holy door of St. Peter's Basilica, which is traditionally sealed shut, remained open all year to allow pilgrims a special path into the presence of God. The day Chloe was born, the door to heaven was open, Zhang says. Chloe was four the first time Zhang brought her to Mountain High, a small resort two hours northeast of their home. Boren and his older daughters, 
weren't interested in snowboarding, so he brought Chloe. She had an instant knack for sliding on snow. Since she started, she was good, Boren says. We don't know where it comes from. At five, Chloe started hitting small jumps and rails on the tiny board Jong had bought for $25 on eBay. After each fall, she pushed herself up and tried again. Jong knew his daughter might not love snowboarding if it hurt, so he cut up yoga mats and stuffed the pieces into Chloe's bibbed snowboard pants. I didn't know they sold special pads for that, he says. When Jong heard that waxed boards went faster, he melted candles onto the bottom of her snowboard. The next year, Chloe joined Team Mountain High, mostly to save money. Normally lessons are $100, Jong says, but they only charged $450 for the whole season if you were on the team. At the end of her first season, Chloe was invited to compete at the USASA Nationals at Lake Tahoe, California. We didn't make hotel reservations or plan anything, Boren says. When we got to Tahoe, there were no rooms, so we slept in the car. We weren't prepared, but Chloe got three bronze medals. The next year, Chloe caught the attention of Mammoth Mountain snowboard coach Ben Wisner. Chloe had a good stance, skills, and amplitude, Wisner says. I asked her mom if she'd ever considered putting her in a program. I didn't hear from them for a couple of years. Switzerland was Zhang's idea. His sister, Sunwa, still lived in Geneva, so he sent eight-year-old Chloe to live with her and learn French. People think Chloe moved to Switzerland for snowboarding, but we are not athletes, Zhang says. Her education was important. Sometimes I hear people say education is the backup plan. They have it backwards. Education is the life plan. Chloe's two years in Europe made her curious and compassionate and prepared her for life in the public eye. I was the only Asian in my school, so that made me an easy target, she says. To deal with the bullies, she studied even harder and learned to speak their language. When I became fluent in French, they'd call me Chinese. I'd say something sassy back, and they'd be nice to me, she says. Plus, I got mega cute when I got to fourth grade, and all the boys loved me. In third grade, Chloe joined the Swiss snowboard team, becoming teammates with future Olympians Pat Bergener and Yuri Podlachikov, the 2014 half-pipe gold medalist. I had just turned 14, and Chloe was eight or nine, Bergener says. She wore the slalom racing helmet, and she was doing McTwists. We were like, wow, she is the future. That summer, Zhang flew in for a visit and took Chloe to ride at Snowpark Zermatt, where several teams were training. A snowboarder landing advanced tricks caught his eye. For a regular person, she was really good, he says. But her coach told me she placed 10th in Torino. I couldn't believe it. I knew Chloe could get to her level in two years. I flew home and told my wife, I can bring Chloe to the Olympics. With Boren's support, Zhang quit his job and poured his energy into coaching Chloe. As an immigrant, I could put my proud Korean last name in the American history books, Zhang says. He didn't share his ambition with Chloe right away. I just knew he was home a lot more, she says. I didn't know he'd planned my whole life. When Chloe returned home from Geneva, 
She joined the Mammoth Snowboard Team, which meant five-hour drives each way. Friday mornings around 2 a.m., John carried Chloe from bed, tucked her into the back seat, and drove through the night. I was in the lift line at Mammoth, and this little girl in a blue helmet with a pink face mask asked to ride the chair with me," says five-time Olympian Kelly Clark. Then I started seeing her at the halfpipe. The sheer amount of days I would see her out there, regardless of weather, spoke volumes. A year later. The International Olympic Committee announced that the 2018 Winter Games, the first for which Chloe would be eligible, would be held in South Korea, reaffirming Jong's belief in his daughter's destiny. It was my dream first, he says. I was a strict father. I really pushed her too much. Chloe didn't always want to make the long drive to Mammoth, as she began working on more elite tricks like 900s and inverted spins. She didn't need Jong as much. We probably fought the most when I was fourteen. Chloe says, "I was a living nightmare. I wanted to hang out with my friends, but I had to do sixty-five assignments instead. But that's also when the Olympics became her dream. Her tricks had become so dangerous they were worth risking only if she was doing them for herself. You're the athlete," she says. "If you go down, you get hurt." One week before the U.S. team left for the 2014 Olympics. Chloe prepared to make her X Games debut. She had the results, but at 13, was three years too young to go to Sochi. At the time, Chloe was not well known. That changed when she landed a frontside 900, and nearly defeated four-time defending champ Clark. With the silver, Chloe became the youngest medalist in X Games history. A year later, she became the youngest Winter X gold medalist. But not without drama. Practicing a switch backside 720, just minutes before the super pipe final, Chloe smashed her face on the wall of the pipe and chipped a tooth. The crash looked scary, and her peers wondered whether she'd drop out. Instead, she dropped in to take all three of her runs. On her final run, Chloe threw a switch method, a pair of 900s, a McTwist. And landed that switch backside 720. The run was technical, creative, and powerful, propelling her past Clark. Despite replays showing that Chloe had dragged her hand on a landing, Chloe's name is synonymous with that night, which highlighted something she had known about herself for years. I love wowing people, she says. I'll throw myself off a bridge to wow somebody. I'm kidding, but you know what I mean. I like to be that interesting person, the center of attention. The next year, in 2016, Chloe silenced her critics by nailing a run that included a 1080, one of the toughest tricks in women's halfpipe, to win the X Games Aspen. She's the best in the world, Bergener says. She's the kind of writer who comes into the sport and pushes it forward. She also became the first woman to land back-to-back 1080s. In a contest, and won gold in slopestyle and halfpipe at the 2016 Winter Youth Olympics. For the second time since 2011, the Korean Ski Association made what Jong says was a lucrative offer for Chloe, now the clear favorite for Olympic gold, to compete for its team. My dad's goal was for me to go to the Olympics, Chloe says. So if that's how we had to do it, then we probably would have. But I wasn't a fan of that idea.
If the other U.S. riders had to work for an Olympic spot, I should too. In the end, Zhang agreed. If Chloe brings the gold medal to the U.S. and can be in the history books as a Korean American, that is bigger for Korea. Zhang says. Then the American people are very proud of her, and then Koreans are more reliable, better people. For her mom, the choice was much simpler. Chloe's American. Is the artichoke in season? Chloe asks a waitress. The Kims are at the Cheesecake Factory, one of their favorite spots near their home in La Habra. It's the second week of an exhausting two-week PR stretch, the final push before Chloe locks in on training, and she's doing her best to soak in her favorite parts about home. At first, all the shoots were tiring and hard. She says, "It wasn't about snowboarding, but I've realized if I wasn't in this situation, I'd be jealous of someone who was." Jong has been traveling less, and Boren left her job at Korean Air to enjoy time with Chloe before she leaves for college in the fall. In September, mom and daughter drove from Park City to New York for a week of interviews and visits to schools Chloe hopes to attend. Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Columbia. My dad says I'd be a good lawyer because I like to argue. Chloe says, "I already lose." Zhang says, smiling. "Go to college. Don't come home." He's going to miss me. She says, "He can't live without me." The two exchange jabs like siblings. Several times, Zhang starts a story and Chloe finishes it. Impatient with his circuitous storytelling, he's like the Asian stereotype. Chloe says, "Bad driver, heavy Korean accent, no filter. My friends like him more than me, especially the guys." She will look for a lot of boys in college. Jong says, "No, Dad, the boys will look for me." Chloe says she'd like to compete into her mid twenties and qualify for Olympic halfpipe and slope style. But first, she must fix what went wrong last February in Pyeongchang. She knows what she wants now and what she doesn't. That trip was a lot for me, she says. I don't know why we did all of that. Doing press in Korea isn't important to me. I'm proud of my Korean heritage, but I want people to know I'm American. It's not important to be the Korean Taylor Swift. Dinner finished. Chloe excuses herself to use the restroom. As Jong starts another story, Chloe was born in the year of the dragon. He says, "Really, Dad? This story?" Chloe says as she walks away. Jong continues undeterred. In Korean myth, a dragon isn't born a dragon. It starts its life as a big snake, then it waits a thousand years, and on a stormy day, the snake goes up into the sky. And becomes a full-fledged dragon. The Korean word for these baby dragons is emuji. He explains, "We call Chloe Ipuji, a made-up hybrid word meaning baby girl dragon." Next year, the Ipuji will become a real dragon with her big power, the gold medal. Jong says, "Chloe didn't wait a thousand years; she waited four. It's just a story I try to tell to make her happy, not more. But if she wins a gold medal, we will be very happy. Then our dreams come true, Boren says, smiling as her daughter returns. 
And if there's no storm? That's way too much stress to put on myself, Chloe says with a smile. If all of this is true, then I don't have to worry. It's my destiny. We are already proud, Jong says. Aw, Dad, Chloe says as she rolls her eyes. That's sweet. Well, if there's a storm on the day of finals, I guess that's my day. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Alyssa Ronick, stopping by Bristol, Connecticut, before she heads off to Korea. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, in person. In person, as we once were back <laughs> many, many years ago. Yeah. So getting right into this, um, the first one of the first stories is in the piece is how Chloe took some really valuable downtime that she had to fly to Korea. To um, for the U.S. State Department sponsored it was a sport program, and uh, was it important for her to do this to represent the United States? Was it important for her Korean roots, as she mentions how happy it made her father, or as a budding brand of her own? Was it important as an introduction to a very lucrative market for her? At the time, and this was one year ago. It was the week before the test event in the halfpipe in Pyeongchang. And so there was a week between the final Grand Prix and when most of the athletes were flying over to Korea for this competition. And she was pretty sick. She was starting to become, she was starting, she had a really bad cough all the way through X Games. And so she, as you said, it was pretty valuable time that she could have gone home and um, rested up. And at the time, I think she would say she was just she was doing what seemed important to everyone around her. Mm-hmm. And and for all of those things, the State Department, she was very much representing the U.S. I spoke with Garrett Wilkerson, who was the head of that program, and they chose Chloe to bring over there, certainly because of her roots, but because they felt that she was also this incredibly powerful female in a sport dominated by men, especially in the view of Koreans. Mm-hmm. Snowboarding is and skiing is something that's uh, recently really become more open to the middle class where people are doing it. And so they, they saw this ability to connect with young people through Chloe. The fact that when they looked at her, they could see some of themselves in her, made her um, just more valuable in a, than, than some of the other American athletes. But she was very much representing the U.S. Everything she did for the State Department, she spoke in English and it was translated. Mm-hmm. But she also, her father had hired um, a local agency okay. to try and really raise her profile in Korea. And that gave her much more pause. She was really nervous. She was speaking in Korean for the first time in public. Mm-hmm. She's fluent, of course. She grew up speaking it at home. But there is a different way to speak to your parents and your friends than there is to speak to your elders and there is to speak to a room full of journalists. And so she, she I think at the time she was just doing what she thought, thought she needed to do and, and was right for all of the above, both to raise her own star in Korea to make her family happy and her father happy and and also to represent American snowboarding to the mm-hmm. world. And a year later, talking to her about that, and especially because, as you learned in the story, the stress of all of that, she became extremely sick. She was in the, hot, in the emergency room two days in a row. She had 104 fever. It really affected the way she rode in that event, which to her was supposed to be about snowboarding and instead became about so much beyond snowboarding. She was really stretching herself. And she said she learned there how to say no. She learned what she really wanted. And and she also learned a year later, 
you know, I think she said, I, I don't, I don't need to be the Taylor Swift of Korea. I don't need to be famous in Korea. I don't need to be rich. I just want to be the best snowboarder in the world. And of course, have the success that comes with that and, and represent this sport to the world, the sport that I truly love. But all of that extra, I, I don't necessarily, I don't need it. But that took a year, I think, of, of, pers- of changing her perspective on, on that week in Korea. Now, at one point, there's a, a Korean boy who says, and she's Korean, just like me. Mm-hmm. And a young American girl could say, and she's American, just like me. And they'd both be right. So this seems more like a perfect hybrid of the, with not just the Olympics in Korea, but the American dream first generation immigration story where someone sort of wears in their sleeve, like, I am everything that I have been, to like get a little bit too cerebral for the moment, of course. <laughs> but is that something that uh, Chloe and even her family are really aware of? Or is it something that it's sort of organically, I'm just going to be who I am, and I'm going to do what I need to do, and if I'm successful, then that's great that they can look up to me, but that's really not something that I'm thinking about or considering. I think you're right. Before all of this, it wasn't something she was thinking about or considering. I think over the past year, she has thought about her own identity, what she means to the world, what she means to Americans, especially young kids, future snowboarders, what she means to Koreans in a way that she hadn't before. Mm-hmm. And I think at the beginning, yes, she was just and she still is just trying to be Chloe. But she's learning that different people want different things from her. Different people want her to behave in different ways, to answer questions in different ways. And so for her, a year ago, if you asked her, she's, you know, she says, you know, I'm just an American girly girl. I'm just a kid from Long Beach who likes to get my nails done. And, and yes, I have Korean parents. Mm -hmm. And yes, we speak Korean at home. And my, and my mom travels with a suitcase full of Korean food and Korean remedies. But, you know, I don't really connect with Korean culture all that much. But she didn't realize all of those ways in which she's being brought up at home, she is connecting with Korean culture. Mm-hmm. But for her, she's a young kid who goes over to Korea on vacation. She's She still gets lost. She stumbles um, when she's trying to speak um, to to her elders, especially. She, um, she sees herself as sort of a tourist when she's there. Right. But now she realized that while she's there, there are people who want her to see herself as Korean. You know, it's, we talked about how in Korean American, depending on where she is, which of those words is in all caps, which of those words is, 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 um, is the accent on? Are you Korean American? Are you Korean American? And, and that's something that she has been figuring out over this year. And you're right. Being at the bottom of the half pipe last year, mm-hmm. she, the week before, it was really fascinating to watch. Not a lot of people knew who she was. They'd heard there was this American snowboarder. Kids who were, who really followed snowboarding knew who she was because she's the best in the world. Mm-hmm. But largely she wasn't well known. And over that, that week, she's on every news, newspaper, every television station. She's becoming quite famous. There are a ton of people at the bottom of that half pipe cheering for her as loudly as they are for their own team. She, there were no Koreans in the finals. So Chloe and Sean White were the two athletes who drew the most praise. And when I asked people why they were cheering for Chloe, young kids tended to say, because she's the best in the world. She's Mm -hmm. like Sean White. Oh, my, she's amazing. She's so famous. And it's cool that she's Korean like me. When I asked older folks, it was very much based on the fact that she was Korean-American. There was this nationalistic pride that I think um, 
wasn't as strong in the young kids. If she was just Korean American but not very good at snowboarding, I don't know that they would have had the same connection to her. Right. And and she was sort of figuring this all out. You know, she would take was taking selfies with kids who were holding an American flag in one hand and a Korean flag in the other, which I don't know if that's something they'd ever done before. Right. But they were doing it because of her. And so she has been you know, when you think of yourself at 17 and your own identity, and we all struggle with our identity, yeah. and we certainly don't have to do it on the cover of magazines and with microphones in our face and national reporters asking us questions that maybe we haven't asked ourselves yet. So, yeah, some of those questions that you mentioned in the piece, like that you started being asked, like, how do I identify with Korean culture? What does competing in Korea mean to you? And all those things. Have you, with your time with her, have you seen, like, as you mentioned, um, this is something that she really hasn't had to think about before. She was like, I'm just a kid from Los Angeles who loves to snowboard. But have you seen an evolution in those answers that she has had to those? Or is she just so laser focused on what she can do with the games in Korea that her success and failure in, at the games will sort of answer those questions for her? The change that I've seen is, you know, she, Chloe's never had formal media training. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why... A lot, like a lot of her fans love her. A lot of journalists love her. She is funny. She's off the cuff. She is extremely entertaining. She really is a natural performer. It's mm-hmm. it's also why she, in the biggest moments, performs the best on a snowboard. Right? You right. just have that innate ability to want to wow and impress people. But over the past year, as some of the things she said, you know, if she says, you know, I don't, I don't know that I really connect with Korean culture. Maybe if she took a step back and thought about it, well, actually, I do. You know, my mom cooks incredible Korean food, and I mm-hmm. speak Korean at home, and um, I know quite a lot about the culture. And her older sisters, you know, her older sisters are 31 and 27. They were raised by parents who were much newer to this country. Um, and, and she said before, you know, my sisters are, are so Korean. They're so much more Korean than I am. And sometimes mm-hmm. those quotes end up in places coming off, especially to... Um, some first generation Americans, um, as, as, as harsh. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have the ability to then say, well, this is what I really meant by right. that. And so she's had to experience seeing something in print, getting responses from people that are not, um, not very positive. And so I've seen her become more measured in the way that she answers those questions. She has, um, you don't see her thinking and just sort of talking off off the cuff. She's right. she now knows. Okay, I need I need to. It really matters what I say, and it matters to people beyond me being a great snowboarder. I am representing a several groups of people. When I'm speaking in public, especially when I'm on camera, maybe to some people I'm representing Koreans, to some people I'm representing a kid from America, from Los mm-hmm. Angeles, and to some people I'm representing first-generation Korean-American, and I need to be really respectful of that. And so she's become more measured in the way that she responds to those questions. Um, and, and I think she is starting, to, like you said, just to think about what her snowboarding on this stage and the kismet of it happening in Korea means yeah, you know if, if she had been probably. old enough in in russia we wouldn't be having this conversation the conversation wouldn't be so much about her korean heritage mm-hmm. uh, chloe mentions in your piece the difficulty of dating at 17 and being a world-class snowboarder mm-hmm. and then you mentioned um uh, with her mother there was a college tour where she's looking at ivy league schools in the east coast 
And it sounds like with all this attention that she's now getting, that she might be hitting a tipping point regarding wanting to be somewhat of a kid while she still can. Now, going to a Ivy League school and training for the Olympics, uh, especially snowboarding, don't sound like they necessarily can That mix. doesn't sound like a barrel of fun to you? Well, it doesn't sound... <laughs> uh, I mean... I'm aware where Columbia University is, and I don't know where the ski, I don't know where the half pipe is. I haven't seen it. <laughs> maybe they have one. But, and she also mentions how she wants to maybe do this until her mid 20s. But is snowboarding like a no days off sport, like to stay on top? Or, and since, you know, if you were swimming at Stanford, you would probably have all the resources, the support network, and the facilities to maintain what you were doing before you were swimming in Rio and then moving on. So, there's uh the balance between academics and athletics is almost built in for you. This seems like it's sort of uncharted waters to be not only is she uncharted waters to be a seventeen year old woman, young woman, to be at this level of snowboarding, but now combine I will see your unprecedented status and I will raise you, I'm gonna go to a school where no snowboarders uh are gonna go. Yeah, you know, I, I do think she's she and her family have thought a lot about this. And she has education is extremely important to her parents. And it's yes. also something that's become extremely important to her. When I talked to her away from them, you know, I think as with snowboarding, there was a time when this was, and her father will say, this was my dream. And I pushed her very hard, but it came to a point where it was very much her dream. And she said, dad, you know, step back a bit. This is my thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and school has become that as well. And so as she's visiting these schools, Harvard and Yale are her two top choices. And largely it's because of the fact that they will work with her on a schedule. They will be flexible with a schedule. I think if anyone can do it, she can. Mm -hmm. She, for the first couple of years, the plan, at least today, that could change the minute she has a gold medal around her neck if that were to happen. But her plan right now is to, you know, she hasn't found out which schools she's gotten into yet. So that's the first step, as we all remember. And then... She has a plan at the moment to go to college and really focus on school the first couple of years Mm -hmm. and snowboard at a few contests here and there. I do think she is good enough to not have to be training year round and competing in the number of events she was this year to stay competitive. And then a couple of years in as sort of a gymnast would Mm -hmm. start to really start focusing on on competing again. And and it's been really interesting because as she started to put this out more into the world and say, this is what I plan to do, I've noticed that from the snowboarding community, there's a lot of pushback. You know, why can't you wait and and just, you know, they, 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 sort of as we were saying earlier, there's there's they're sort of saying the same thing. She and her family and the snowboard community, you only have one opportunity to do this. And right. what the snowboarding community means is take advantage of all of the money and fame and success Get, that's yeah. going to come your way Get and represent checks. our sport to the world. You know, someone with Chloe's talent and every, everything else, the it factor that she has as well, only comes around maybe once in a generation. Right. And so why not put off school and take advantage of that? And I think she thinks, you know, everything has been about snowboarding. I only have one chance to go to college at 18 years old mm-hmm when my friends are going to college. And even though, you know, she's not, she's signing up to go to tough schools. She's already talking about studying law. This mm-hmm. is not, she's not trying to go coast through college, but she also has spent the past 15 years of her life traveling the world with her parents, 
working her tail off to graduate school a year early. So she certainly school has been as important as snowboarding and to become the best snowboarder world. Doing those two things at the same time has been a lot of work. It wasn't magical that she、mm-hmm. became this incredible snowboarder. She has probably put in more time on snow than any 17 year old in the world. So I、yeah. think part of her wants to go off to the other side of the country and be a kid as much as that sounds counter to also being a freshman at a school like Harvard or Yale.、Mm-hmm. She, I think, sees that as a way to go. And she, you know, she says, my older sister went to school, partied too much. My younger sister went to school, studied too much. I want to go somewhere in the middle <laughs> and really enjoy my experience. And, and, and she's such a headstrong, focused kid and hard worker. And you see that on the snowboard and just knowing she graduated school a year early. That's, um, innate in knowing that, right? So I, I think she has the inner drive to be successful at both.、Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if that plan, Remains the same once we get through Pyeongchang, depending on what happens there. Now, you mentioned, you know, you made the quip earlier about how she's just a girl from California that wants to get her nails done and stuff. Like, can she do that? I mean, I, cause there's also stories about how she wasn't even 10 years old, but on Friday night, she'd go to bed and at 2 a.m., her dad would wake her up and go, just go back to sleep in the back of the car. I'm going to drive you to the mountain for training with this, with the team that she, Sort of reunited when she came home from Switzerland.、Uh, and also, the Switzerland part, by the way, it needs to be pointed out that that was more of an education move. 100%. Not necessarily because there's good skiing there. They yeah, just the happened time, to be. Yeah, at the time, her, her dad hadn't yet had his eureka moment that my daughter is good enough to go to the Olympics.、Mm-hmm. That happened when he was visiting her in Switzerland. So his sister lived in Switzerland. He'd spent time over there with her. Yep. And. Education was everything. And he also knew when he was younger, he didn't really apply himself. He didn't work so hard、mm-hmm. in school. And for him, coming to the U.S. was a, an ability to start over, something that he said was not available in Korea.、Mm-hmm. And so at 26, he came here, learned English, and put himself through engineering school.、Um, smart man as well.、Yeah. And so school was the most important. And so it was important to him to teach Chloe Korean at home. She was speaking English, obviously, at school and with her friends.、Mm-hmm. And He knew that if he sent her to Geneva to live with his sister, she would learn French.、Okay. And she was still at an age where learning a language was relatively simple and she wouldn't sort of hem and haw at having to leave her friends and,、mm-hmm. and move away for two years. And so that was 100%. He, he often says this thing that I've, I, I think Chloe, I, I also reading back through my transcripts when I was writing this also says a couple of times and that's, You know, people often ask, Oh, is college, that's your fallback? Is、mm-hmm. college the backup plan? And they say, No. College and education is the life plan. Right. You know, and in snowboard and in, 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 in a job, you know, if she, once she's moved on from college and whatever career she chooses, if you get sick or you get hurt, you take a sick day.、Mm-hmm. You take sick leave, they say.、Mm-hmm. And, and her dad says in snowboarding, if you get hurt, you just leave. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sick leave.、Home. It's just leave, leave. And so that's also in the back of her mind that this does not last forever. So that makes her both want to take advantage of everything coming her way right now,、mm-hmm. but also really have a life plan for when it's all over. But going back real quick to like saying the thing about the getting the nails done. Oh, right. Has she, oh no, that was great <laughs> what you said. Does she have the,、um, does she have that? Like, does she have a network of, you know, 17 year old friends or 16 year old friends? Like, is she going to college to try to find that? Or does she, I mean, The one common denominator between you, me, Sean White, LeBron James, like insert, you know, Chloe, insert elite athlete here 
is that there's only 24 hours in every one of our days. And so it, it seems that, like, how could she have that personal life? Or she would have some friends like, oh, it's great to see you. I'm free again in eight to ten months. I'll talk to you then. <laughs> well, she does. And and the thing that she would say that she's really lucky to have is the group of friends who are snowboarders. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of those young, um, around 17, 18, 16-year-old kids. She's had boyfriends. She has really close friends, but they're friends she's made through snowboarding. So right. she, and she did go to, she goes to Mammoth Mountain High School. And so at first that, that involved going to school. And then at a point you go into their independent program. So you are homeschooled. So, you know, in some ways she has these friends who she gets to have these incredible experiences with where you go to New Zealand for a couple of months in the fall and then you travel around the world and you compete in things that you and I couldn't have imagined doing with our friends at 17. And so in some ways she does have that. But I think the independence of going to college and making friends, who maybe don't care that she's a snowboarder or don't even know that she's a snowboarder mm-hmm. or don't snowboard themselves, that I think will be a really new experience and something she's really excited about. Now, her dad, uh, Chloe's dad, tells a story about her being born in the year of a dra- the dragon mm-hmm. and her reaction to him starting a story she's clearly heard before, just off the page, the words, you can almost see her eyes rolling. <laughs> I love a good eye roll. Yeah. And she tells, you know, and he tells it in a very, you are the chosen one vein. Mm -hmm. Now, how much pressure do you think she feels without, not just like the whole kismet of it, the first Olympic, you said this was in Sochi, forget it. This is in Korea is her coming out party. This is, that's why it's a big deal. So you take that, but how much pressure does she feel knowing how much her parents have done and given up for her? to succeed and get this opportunity. Because in a way, I mean, like a lot of 21st century parents of athletes, they're very intertwined. It's not like I have my thing and you go off and do yours. And if you want to buy me a car when you get drafted, like that's great. Mm -hmm. It's more like I need to start being your support network early. We did a piece on here earlier about uh, Marvin Bagley over at Duke and how his parents moved to Durham to be closer to him. And they're very intertwined in his career and success. But that can add pressure to someone who is only 17 years old. Like, Is that something that is just sort of unspoken or is it palpable? Does she feel that? Or, and is that part of what pushes her to work hard? It's not just I want this. It's I really want this for them, too, because of what they've done for me. Yeah, and I think you put it really well because I think it's really easy to to look at her story, especially – a couple of years ago when she started really coming on the scene and at the bottom of the half pipe, you would always see her mom and dad and think like, oh, she has these overbearing parents or this overbearing dad who's just always around and miss the fact that he gave up his job. Mm -hmm. And for him, it really was about giving his daughter who was born in this country where he had come here believing that the American dream is a real thing and anything that you dream up, you can make possible. Mm -hmm. And making a commitment to this kid that he thought when he realized she could be good enough to do this and and committing fully to that. And so, yes, she does. At first, when she was younger, none of us understand the sacrifice our parents make. No. And, and, and when you're in it, you certainly do, don't. But now she absolutely does. You know, she says, and, and it's in the story, you know, at first I just realized he was home more often and <laughs> we were hanging out a lot more. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize he'd planned my work. whole life. Yeah, why yeah. has dad stopped going to work? But now she looks back and thinks, I would never be here if he hadn't done that. Right. And, and 
I look around and see lots of athletes who maybe had similar potential, but their parents didn't quit their jobs and dedicate themselves to making sure I had every access to the best coaches and and put me in the car and drove five hours through the night so that I could go to Mammoth Mountain and, and become the best in the world. And he made it possible for me to do this. So yes, she's very aware of that. And and there is a pressure that comes with knowing they're standing there at the bottom of the half pipe and wanting to see that big smile and see them, see them proud. I think she also knows they're proud of her no matter what happens because snowboarding is a fickle thing and she could go to the Olympics and fall. Mm-hmm. She could, you know, something, she could go to the Olympics and, and get sick and, that her not winning a gold medal is not going to detract from everything she's done to this point. And I th- I do think she has a good head on her shoulders in a way that, that I haven't seen in a lot of athletes her age. Um, you know, and, and with the, with the sort of stars aligning and the kismet of it all, her dad is a, her dad's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more stories you hear, it is sort of hard to discount the, the, sort of magic and the kismet in her story. It's easy to get caught up. You know, she's yeah. born on Easter Sunday and the year of the great Jubilee. And it's, she's, she's a, a tiny dragon waiting a thousand years to become a great dragon. And you know, the Olympics are, <laughs> the Olympics are, are in Korea. But for her, I think that eye roll comes from dad. If you buy too much into this story that I was just destined to do this, it discounts all those hours I spent falling on my butt. Right. Working harder than everyone else to become the best at what I do. And if it's if I'm just destined to do it and it's just magic and and I have this mystical connection to the gods and they have, you know, preordained that I will win the gold medal in 2018, then why have I been working so yeah, hard and, and making my own sacrifices to do this? So I think that's where the eye roll comes from. It's like, oh, here he goes with another one of his magical tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I think she's heard it a few times, but I think for her, she knows how hard she's worked. She knows how bad, how badly she wants to be the best in the world. But yeah, of course you want to make everyone around you proud. And, and, and I think to this point she has, she has paid back that hard work already. She just won her fourth X games. She's 17 years old. Um, I think that her pair she's made everyone proud so everything yeah. from here on out is is the cherry well we'll have to see if she gets <laughs> any more cherries on top when she heads to the games in the next couple of weeks Alyssa Ronick thank you so much for your time thank you for having me have a safe safe trip thank you and we hope to have you back here soon thank you yeah thanks Mike remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts Thanks again, and we will be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.